When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I can hear you and you can hear me, right? Oh, sure. Where are you, David? Are you in London? I'm in London, yeah. Johnny's rented somewhere in the country. Oh, um, so he's off, is he off working somewhere? He was recording in the country doing the music for the show, oh, um, right. which coincided with lockdown. Oh, that's quite nice. Ew, it's you... just so good. In yeah. fact, coming back to London has been a real fucking shock. Right. <laughs> David Tennant does a podcast with Billy Piper. So, Bill. Yeah. Your new show, I Hate Susie, has just been released and you have, uh, well, we've just been talking about it. You've been everywhere, haven't you? You've been in every paper, interviewed all over the place. You're multiple faces staring down (laughs) from billboards around the country. And you're the co-creator and the producer and the star of it. And you've been working on this show for years. So when you get to the end of this big old massive push, uh, when you're so personally responsible for it and it's it's hanging on your shoulders, what is the ratio, as you send it out into the world, what is the ratio of anxiety to excitement? Um... Do you know what's actually quite surprising? I was about to say anxiety was leading all the way, but actually, when I think about it, that's not true. I was more excited for this show to come out. I feel very anxious now in the aftermath of it, probably the sort of come down of it coming out. And I would actually I would actually say I felt more excited than anxious. Right. Isn't that weird? And that feels like a new experience. This is the first time I've ever felt like that. Do you think that's because you are so personally involved in it at every level? So controlled, controlling (laughs) of all of it, and maybe that's just a a more comfortable experience for me professionally. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. So if it falls apart, you know, you had some part of that. It wasn't completely taken out of your hands by other creatives. Yeah. It's been a big hit, though, of course. So uh, are you reading what's been written about it? What happens, this is my process. So Lucy reads everything because that's who she is. And she will filter and send through things that she thinks I can mentally handle. Right, Okay. That's Lucy Preble, the co-writer. Co-creator, writer. Yeah. And that's how I like to do all of my work have a buffer yeah yeah i i sort of rely on your my friends to send through things that they think i i'm strong enough for yeah how comfortable are you with all that promotional hoo-ha the the promotional stuff i've become less comfortable with Mm. i've actually found doing things on zoom and not being live in a studio or not being not having to show up and attend in that sort of shiny way, I find that massively relaxing. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah, so I've I've actually quite enjoyed that experience. Yeah, 
you know, all the, the stuff that you have to do to go go on those shows um, that actually become quite stressful as a woman. I don't know if it's the same as a man. Look great and be funny and yeah. have good anecdotes and, you know... There's this, there's this sort of padding around this experience that I prefer. So that stuff was fine. And then the, the things that people say, you know, unfortunately that's gone quite well. So all round, thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, the experience of making it was something very different. Right. And what do you not mean? Not padded, not comfortable. Oh, really? Not remotely comfortable. Even though you were in, you had that level of control that you'd never had before. In the actual physical making of it, so the filming of it, and then going into post-production in lockdown. Of course, right. Because we were at home with our kids and we were trying to do post-production in a house whilst everyone's homeschooling. Johnny's doing the music in the back room and I'm doing, watching all the edits and all of that stuff. It was, yeah... Yeah. Do you have a tactic when you're in a, in the white heat of all that promotional stuff? Do you have a tactic for deflecting the questions that come up with withering predictability? I heavily brief them before we start the session. Do you? <laughs> Do's and don'ts. I hit them with a memo about right? what is and isn't all right to ask. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> no, that's not true. There's only a few things I won't go near, and those things are private things, things that I I do not feel comfortable discussing um, and are completely off the table. And, you know, everything else is fair game. These are small but very um, important things to me that mean yeah. that I can have some sort of um, private life and so can my kids. Yeah, yeah. Um because one of the things you will never escape being asked about ever is is Doctor Who, which is where we met fifteen years ago. Fifteen years ago, it's a long time. Well, it's awful, isn't it? Well, not awful, but when you meet kids at the conventions who are like, "Oh, my name's Rose. I was named after you when I was born fifteen yeah. years ago," and you're like, "Oh my god, you're a grown up person." Yeah, you're smoking Rose, <laughs> smoking cigarettes. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> You're walking around with one of those big tankers of beer they drink. You know, those big sort of like yeah. asterisk vibes. Yeah. Well, it was 15 years ago. You'd just done a season as Rose, the nation's sweetheart. And I was just <laughs> arriving for season two. And we shared a very happy, intense nine months making that oh, show. No, and we have did. spent a great deal of the last 15 years being asked about it. But how aware were you when you did that, that you were involved in something that you would be carrying with you for the rest of time oh not at all i had absolutely no idea right because you didn't have you you didn't grow up with it you didn't have that sort of no i didn't grow up with it so i didn't have that um feeling that you had yeah let's say which is of complete fandom and yeah and you were obsessed right you you have this encyclopedic knowledge of that's true well i don't share um so yeah i didn't grow up with it and then actually when we started making it everyone said it was going to be a failure so you just didn't imagine it being on for longer than three months imagining that 15 years later you it's still probably the biggest job you will have ever done and you'll still be talking about it and going off and meeting people and celebrating it is that was a big reach 
Yes, because filming on that first series, it was a bit untried, wasn't it? That yeah. Nobody had made a show like that in the no. UK for, well, ever, really. Yeah, it was new ground and yeah. uh, using technology that Hollywood used yeah. or a version of it. Yeah, you're quite right. It was a huge gamble. And, you know, we were all quite aware of that when we were shooting it, which sort of meant that we couldn't enjoy it as much as we did in our second series, with right. me and you, um, because yeah. everyone went mental for it. And that was a really nice feeling going back in. Yes, it wasn't like filming a normal job. Certainly when my experience of it, because we, when we were on location, we'd be surrounded by crowds. There was people buzzing round wherever we yeah. went. We were bundled in and out of cars and whisked into places through the back door and chased by photographers. And it, It's the closest I've ever felt to imagining what it must be like to be a pop star. But mm. having actually been a pop star, were the two relatable experiences? Yeah, they were. And sometimes I found that quite hard because I had like three years just living a life that wasn't particularly normal, but it wasn't 17 hours a day selling records and being very, very actively public. And then I really enjoyed those sort of sloppy years. And then going back starting Doctor Who just reminded me about that and the sort of pressure and responsibility and the responsibility was a big part of it because I was in my early 20s and quite wild and then you're the sort of face of a family show and I really I found that really hard right because you'd sort of been there before because I've been there before and it's an uncomfortable position for me. I'd, I've never really liked that. You, you become this thing to people and you, you don't really have any part in that. And mm. so you have to behave a certain way or at least try to. And, you know, that's quite annoying. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. But it means that you can't be yourself entirely and it means that you become incredibly guarded and, for me, reclusive, always. Mm. Yes. I've often said in the intervening 15 years that entering into that madness and the kind of cavalcade that that show was and particularly that loss of anonymity, which I had not really experienced before. Oh, my God, yeah. Was something, and I don't know that I really understood this at the time, but because I had you to go on that journey with, I think mm. I survived it much better than I might have done. Not because you... Uh, were very good at it. No, 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 I don't mean that. No, of course. No, <laughs> no because, because, no, because you practised at it. You, practiced you sort of knew definitely. what that was to lose that kind of layer of skin. And it was yeah. quite... It was very helpful to be on that journey with someone who understood what it was. Yeah, it's a massive shock, isn't it? Like, yeah, it really is. It was... I, I remember it being a massive shock for you, understandably. Yeah. Well, it's very hard to prepare for that, isn't it? And, oh, and, yeah. I mean, it dominates every dinner party and wedding yeah. that you go to for the next 15 years. And it's fine. It's fine. But mm. it's not not a thing. Yes, I think I, I really missed you when you'd gone just because I'd really cherished that partnership sort of on screen and off. Because I think yeah. we were both going through quite different but significant kind of life transitions at the time. Yeah, You know, definitely. it felt, felt like a very significant time. Yeah, I know, I agree. And one of the things that I Hate Susie is about is that collision of the private world and the public world, mm. isn't it? Mm. And it's not autobiographical, but no. you have given the lead character some biographical details that have parallels with your own life. Is that because you just thought, there's a lot of material to mine here? 
Yeah, because it's it's a fun world to dramatize. It, it creates a lot of narrative. And that's really helpful when you're trying to uh, come up with a, a sort of fresh form and way of telling a story. So it opens up the worlds a bit. And as much as that's about a famous person, it really is a metaphor for how we all live our life on some level now. And I suppose the sort of sci-fi convention that we go to, yes, I have done sci-fi conventions, but it, we're not sort of using it in this autobiographical way. We're just using it as a tool to tell a certain part of a story. You know, people are like, well, of course it's her life. I would be horrified. And actually I'll say it now, horrified if people thought I was like, entirely like Susie Pickles. I'm yeah. sure we share, well, you know, face for a start and, sure. you know, all of that. But it, it's a it's a performance. I, I'm not that person. And the same can be said for Lucy as well. It's like so insulting to just go, oh, it's just Billy's life and she's just been <laughs> scribbling away going, and what happened next? And then what happened? It's like, no, she is a, <laughs> she's a very skilled writer. She can come up with things that aren't just real and true this is her imagination working at 100 percent. so yeah there are similarities but we've used little bits just to help make it really sort of colorful i guess because the world that we live in is uh, working is mental yeah (laughs) and it's so fun to dramatize that yeah but ultimately it's about having something taken out of your hands as a woman and and completely destroying your life yeah and yet the act of making it has been an act of you taking more control, hasn't it? And then last year, your your feature film, Rare Beasts, premiered, mm. which you wrote, directed and starred in. Yeah. You're clearly relishing this, taking more control. Does it? Does this feel like a, a journey you've always been on or is it taking you by surprise? No, I think I've always wanted to write and direct. But I probably wasn't ever in a position of, I don't know, maybe I just wasn't sort of as confident. And I did just get to a point with the acting where I, there are things I really love, but those opportunities or roles are few and far between. And it just I just think it makes sense nowadays that if you have something to say as an artistic person that you do it yourself, because that seems to be the world in which we're living now. It's... I found it hard in the end to just be an actress for hire who wasn't considered for certain parts because I wasn't in the group of the five actresses that get cast for absolutely everything in this country. So, yeah, that pissed me off. Right. So this is now part of what you do going forward, developing your own stuff. I hope so, yeah. yeah. I hope so. I hope I can continue to do it and I hope we can all continue to work. I just don't know how how it is going to work with, you know, bloody COVID. Yeah. Well, it will eventually pass. Maybe well, not I think as... things are starting up now, but... Yeah, you but know, for how long? But you're doing your own stuff now. Well, yeah, I tried to. No, and, and again. it's bloody great. I loved it. <laughs> oh, I loved that show over lockdown. Well, things like that present themselves slightly by surprise sometimes, yeah. don't they? Because um, it's interesting you made Susie a teenage pop star, which is a very specific detail Mm. that you have very particular knowledge about. Why that exact detail? Well, I'd like to draw attention to the fact that she became a pop star on one of those like early 
sort of uh, pop stars okay. show. Okay, yeah, so it's different yeah. to your experience, so it's, I guess. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a minor difference, uh-huh. um, but it's significant. Well, I just think... I think that that moment is about how bright and shiny and wanted you are in your teens and as a girl and then you know the journey that you go on which is polarizing I think as a woman so it felt like a really again a good place to start dramatically and then the next time you see her she's getting this really fantastic role but as a an old Disney princess and then her life is completely torn apart Mm. So it just felt like a really good place to start because it, you know, it sort of talks very quickly, but quite importantly about being a young woman versus being a an old <laughs> an old fuck like me. Do you think this, the fact that you have journeyed towards taking more control of what you do, is in any way influenced by the fact that your career? in the entertainment industry started out as a teenage pop star who had zero control over what you were doing. Absolutely. Right. Com- completely. As a pop star, as a professional and also personally as well. Because you were, the, I don't think I realised this. You were the youngest woman ever to debut at number one in the charts with her first record. What does that do to a 15-year-old's mind? Are you able to take that in, the scale of that? Um, no, no, I don't think you are. I've been talking about this more recently and I think I'm only just coming to terms with a lot of those things that happened to me in my teen pop star years. I think it's deeply unnatural to experience such highs at that age. I think it gives you a false sense of power and, yeah, I just, I think it's it's very confused and not something I'd want for my own kids. Mm. You've been very honest about the pressure of that lifestyle at that age and that it took you to some pretty dark places. Yeah. And yet you seem to me like a very robust and wise human. Do you think it's just the case that no human could survive that kind of experience uh, unscathed? Is it just unnatural? Yeah, I think if you're not having, if you're not sort of falling apart um, around those things that are happening to you, uh, then then maybe there is something wrong, or maybe you're just you've just had the sort of the the most perfect therapized upbringing or something. I don't know. I I don't think it's natural to be normal around that life and so you know inevitably you come out with some issues and some of them are issues for life you know and yes I wanted it so much Mm. and also I was genuinely interested and invested in the arts so it made such sense for me but you know I prayed for it every night so that's the tricky bit, isn't it? Because when you get to that kind of an age, when you're not quite a child, not quite an adult, should you be denied it? I mean, should you have been stopped from doing that? Or must you be allowed to follow your own path at that age? 
Well, I would say... How young say, is too young, I suppose. Well, I would say my I was way too young, but I right. was really headstrong as a young girl. I was really ambitious and really probably precocious. And, you know, I worked so hard as a young girl. And I know that's not remarkable. I think girls are like this. They, you know, being very high achieving. I was always like that. And I probably quite scary to my parents who also wanted me to have a life that they had never had. And so they were seduced by the opportunity too. Like, you know, I, I imagine it would have seemed unfair or cruel to deny me something that's so different to the life that they had experienced. Uh, so it does make sense, but, you know, I, I wouldn't let my kids go near it, but I know that's because of my experience and, you know, maybe that's unhealthy and unhelpful, but it's a very unsafe life. Mm. I don't know, would you let your kids... Well, you've got kids going into it, haven't you? Well, our 18-year-old is acting now. But that's 18, that's quite... Yeah. But he started but a bit still, younger than that. But yeah, yeah okay. still. But now, of course, he goes off on his own, which he didn't initially. No, see, um, I would be, I lived on my own at 13. I mean, I lived yes. in, I had my own flat at 14 years old. Right. I was getting home after an 18-hour day, cooking myself some food, beans on toast and milk, because I was a child. Sure. And then getting up at five and going to work. Very weird. Yes. But initially, glorious and exciting. Oh, by and the way, I say very weird on on reflection, mm. and I am sad and scared for my younger self. But at the time, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> not around my parents, not at school, frankly. Escaping my GCSEs, doing the thing that I prayed to do every night, and loving doing that. And the first couple of years of it were just brilliant, mind-bending. Yeah. But then, you know, unremarkably, it takes a very s- sudden and steep turn. So do you grieve for that teenage girl? Do you well, feel I've, like there was something that, that uh, a bit of your life that you didn't get? Um, I've learned to grieve for that child okay. my, my, through therapy. Like, that's what they do, isn't it? When you do, like, you know, going back, family origins, and then the, a comforting... <laughs> I find it very hard, very hard. <laughs> comforting your little girl self, which just makes me cringe so hard. But I know that it's important. <laughs> I just have to be honest about my relationship with therapy. Because sure. some of the things they ask you to do, it's just like, well, this is just like being well, on set for me. Yeah, sure. Of course, yes. This is like but being you can find it ludicrous and still benefit from it. That's okay. Oh, absolutely. I think you have to laugh at it because, yeah. it, you know, at some point you've got to go... I I I refuse to do that stupid thing you're asking me to do. And so anyway, I've been encouraged um to feel for that little me and um and so now I do a bit. Do you feel that you were let down by the people around you at the time? I think it was the 90s and it was a very different time. Very different. The rules were in and and the playground was everyone had so much money and the music industry was so huge and was just blowing up and everyone was very turned on by that 
And I think I probably got lost in that as well. Um, and I did, I did have some really beautiful sound people around me, but you know, I, I, I was behaving like an adult and I think that normalized that experience for everyone else. Do you regret that time? Oh no, not at all. None of it? None of it. I don't regret that time. I can't regret that time, really. I don't think that would be very helpful. No. And I suppose you can't unpick all the, what, what all those experiences combine to, to do to your later life, can you? No. Like, I wish I had done some things better and I wish other people had done some things better, but I don't sit there at night feeling really angry and regretful. Right. Um, it's interesting that it was as a singer you became this teenage sensation because as a kid... it. You always wanted to be an actor first, didn't you? Yeah, always. And you weren't a particularly confident singer. <laughs> I could hold a tune, but I went to a theatre school. You know, those, those guys can sing. Amy yeah. Winehouse was at my school, for Christ's sake. You know, that's a voice. That is a voice, yeah. Yeah, I really just loved, I loved the acting from a really young age. And I remember the moment that I made the decision. My mum was ironing in the living room and really inappropriately, we were watching Band of Gold. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the thing about the prostitutes. <laughs> I know, which I'm now obviously thinking, oh, maybe that's why I've played so many prostitutes. <laughs> no, it's not. But I remember seeing Samantha Morton sort of falling apart and just being an incredible actress and me just going, who is that? I feel so moved by this person. Like, I remember turning to my mum and just going, do you not think that's amazing? Do you not feel so moved by her? I obviously didn't use that language, but... What and sort of age go, are you at this point? Probably about nine or ten. Right. And then just going, that's what I want to do. And what did your mum make of that? Um, I don't know. She had loads of stuff going on. So I don't know. She, I, but did I, they take you seriously? Did that seem like a, oh, a realistic thing to pursue? Oh, yeah. She never said you couldn't do that. No, my parents really, you know, really... Um, went for it with me they did they really wanted it for me and we didn't have much money you know mm. so drama school I got a scholarship and then my dad had to find the money for the rest my dad's a builder and my mum's a housewife so it was like that's a lot of cash to find including like travel and boarding so yeah they went for it with me because you were a bit older when you got your three siblings weren't you you were sort of an only child for a while did that... Yeah, I was an only child until I was seven. Right. So, so did that change the dynamic? Did that make it harder for you to be heard? Oh, probably, yeah. But also I took on a lot of responsibilities for, for you know, I took care of the kids a lot. Through choice or just because the family dynamic required that? A bit of both. My mum had what I think now was postnatal depression. When I think when my third sister was born, um, she became very, very, uh, it was a very bad time for my mum. And they used to call it a nervous breakdown then. And maybe it was, but actually she had three kids back to back and she was a stay at home mum. So it makes sense to me that that was postnatal. Um mm. So, yeah, I did a lot of raising of the kids. And to be honest, I really liked it. I really relished it. 
I really loved teaching them and taking care of them um, when they were little. Yeah, I mean, my younger sister, I used to pretend she was mine. Right. <laughs> we were talking you... about that the other night, actually. I went, do you... She said, I can't remember that. <laughs> that was a really significant moment in my life. Who would you pretend to? To my friends. I would take her out with me with my mates. Wow. You know the days when you'd take, a 10-year-old would take five-year-olds on a bus journey to your local town when people used to do that? Obviously, I wouldn't let my kids watch the end of the street Yeah, now. no, sure. But yeah, I would take her out and show her off and put makeup on her and <laughs> smoke fags around her. And she was like my child. Right. But she can't remember any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was formative all the same. Are you still very close to the three of them? I've got a lot closer to them recently, actually. The older sister of the two has had kids, so that has really brought us back together. And and also me having kids has sort of, you know, made me want to be around my family again and in a way that um, I got out of the habit of doing. Mm. Yes, because like you said, you became essentially a boarder at Sylvia Young Theatre School at 13, you stopped living at home in the week. But when you did go to Sylvia Young's, did you feel like you'd found your tribe? Um, in many ways, yes, but also no, because those kids weren't anything like the kids I'd grown up with. And my experiences were quite advanced. These kids felt very sort of kiddish to me, whereas I'd been you know, behaving like a 17-year-old. Um, so that was quite different. Also, there was a sort of blood sport nature to the ethos well no it's not really the ethos it's incredibly competitive and um that's hard although I loved some of the experiences and some of the teachers who were completely mental (laughs) we had a a teacher who'd smoked in the class wow that sounds very 90s. I mean, I mean, that was the, I mean, they were so characterful, the teachers, and, and it was such a brilliant and uh, immersive experience. It really, it really was. Did that feel a bit threatening, a bit scary? Or were you, or were you ready it. to, you were ready I for really it? I really liked it. I right. found it so amusing. Right. So when you were plucked out to become the pop face of your generation, yeah. were your peer group happy for you or furious? I have no idea because I was just gone literally in a week. Really? I I don't know how people felt about that. And you had no regrets about that? You were out the door? I was out the door, yeah. Sure. So someone just came to the school and went, we're looking for a pop star, we'll have her, thanks. Well, basically I was like the face of the relaunch of um, Smash Hits magazine. So you were with a big uh, bubblegum, With a bubblegum, yeah. Yeah. And then they used the image on the front of this trade magazine called Music Week. It was me just like pointing at the camera with this crazy hair and being all like sassy and stuff. And there was a a sort of sister label came up at Virgin uh, Records called Innocent and they wanted to sign a very young female artist. And I was on the front cover of this magazine on this music exec's table and he went, who is she and where is she? And it sounds very creepy now. It's a little. (laughs) But it it was, it, it really wasn't. And I would hate for people to think in any way that that was kind of weird and predatory it wasn't he was like who's this girl can she sing 
and you know it was very much pitched on the way I looked um and and you know I can I can be confident and convicted about that but then he came to the school and said can she sing would she do a demo tape so I did a demo tape and they said it was good enough (laughs) and um and they signed me (laughs) they signed me right so yeah that's that's sort of how it how it went i mean it's kind of a weird dream story isn't it what did your mum and dad make of that because obviously they'd Um, they'd been you know they'd been very much supportive of all this they'd they'd made extra efforts to get the money to send you there this must have felt they must have been hugely proud and excited and at the same time terrified weren't they i think so yeah we're not a family of talkers so it's not like we've really had that one out and sort of childishly and selfishly I was only interested in how I well not selfishly I was a kid so I was just only interested in how I felt about that experience but they seemed really really happy and excited for me but also quite moderate around it as well like they went screaming in my face oh my god you're gonna be famous it wasn't like it wasn't like gross like that but were you thinking that yeah (laughs) and that was the goal at that stage Not to be famous, but I did strategically think that I was, I was very mindful of the fact that it wasn't acting and that's what I really wanted to do. But I, in my little 13 year old head, I thought, but maybe this will be an opportunity for me to become a successful actor. That's pretty clear sighted of you at that age. I think it's quite strange actually. Yeah. Yeah. Clear sighted slash weird. And ultimately, absolutely correct. But it was a bit of a journey to get there. Obviously. Yeah, it was a real. It was a. It was a. Yeah, it was. A, it was a journey. And when it did get all quite dark, and you you had to walk away from that career, did did that always feel like I'm taking this time out to breathe, and then I'm going to come back and do what I always wanted to do, or or was it impossible to be? Were you in such a dark place by the end of the pop star days? Um. I was say I was in a dark place and just ready to have a bit of a normal life, whatever that meant for me. I was just so tired, if I'm honest. I was, yeah. I think I was so tired. I was really just burnt out. And um, I also just wanted to have some freedom and I just wanted to like stay at home and learn how to cook properly and just do sort of uh, heat what felt like healing things mm. also i went and got completely hammered for three years with chris evans sure yeah yes Which you had the most ab- <laughs> abnormal normal life for a few years i guess didn't you <laughs> totally but so much fun and yeah just living very hard but with a lot of love and a big dose of curiosity and just yeah am- amazing time Mm. It's funny because everyone framed that period in my life as these sort of horribly debauched, irresponsible, me falling apart, looking like shit, putting on weight. And that was really important to me, that period of my life. So exactly what you needed to do. I needed that. Me not looking perfect every day in a tabloid was the best way for me to heal. Like Mm. every time there'd be a picture of me looking like, completely groomed and manicured within an inch of my life I can tell you I was completely unhappy and starving and dark on the inside and I 
haven't brushed my hair since <laughs> they've obviously brushed it for work but you you've never seen me out my nan's always like oh billy why why can't you just brush your hair just brush your hair but i really really have rejected that stuff yeah yeah so you, you had this whirlwind marriage to chris evans who was and is a very famous television and radio personality and the, but the two of you sort of dropped out of life didn't you and kind of went off around the world it was like tabloid catnip of course they were they couldn't believe that this young girl and this slightly older man could really be having this wonderful time but for you it was a purely positive experience yeah well, they, we, we had a really uh, amazing time together yeah and you know it, it's i imagine it's what your uni years feel like you know yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of reckless but you're learning a lot it was an in, it was an in, incredible time and not to undermine our relationship because we also had a very loving relationship it wasn't just oh we're getting going out getting fucked it's that we we had a very caring loving relationship yeah and and eventually that allowed you to kind of reboot and start life as as the actor you'd always wanted to be because it meant that i let go of the the singing and that world in quite a brutal way, whereby I think I just stopped taking people's calls. Really? You just stopped answering the phone and yeah. eventually it stopped? Just stopped. Were there any repercussions of that? Were there sort of record companies showing up and waving contracts at you? And Yeah, there, I think I'm, I think there was a lot of money that wasn't recouped, let's say that. But you were um, a successful pop star. They must have made their money off you. They made lots of money, I'm sure. But, you know, I... I also then just turn my back on it all. So I think, you know, they would have liked to have made a bit more money, probably. Right. And so I started going to acting classes in LA because we moved out to Los Angeles for a couple of, no, for five months. Right. And then I came home and got an agent and just went for it. And then I got Doctor Who. Yeah. I remember when you got cast in Doctor Who, before I was involved, of course, there was a lot of that. Because it was the first big high-profile, act, really high-profile acting job you'd had, probably. Mm. You'd been working for a couple of years, but there was a lot of the uh, the reaction to it that was of the kind of, oh, that pop star girl, which now, of course, with everything you've done in between, seems extraordinary. Um, mm. But at the time, was that something, did that rankle? Or did you just think, I've just got to, I've just got to see this through, I've just got to prove them wrong? I didn't pay much attention to it. That's the other thing about uh, Chris ta- Chris Evans taught me how not to engage with that stuff, basically by not reading it. Right. Because it's so bad for you and so toxic, especially if what they're saying isn't favourable and at worst really horrible, like mm. actively horrible. So he taught me how to not do that. And then so when Doctor Who, I had a sniff of it, but I I didn't really know. And of course, we didn't have smartphones, so you weren't constantly being reminded. Yes, yes, that's true. It was a totally different Of course, you forget that, don't you? Yeah, Yeah. you do. So I just went for it. And I I wanted to prove myself as an actress. That, that um, That was my goal. I wanted to prove it to myself, to my family and to the dream I had, you know, as a child. Mm. I'm assuming it was opening doors as well. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was. But, you know, it was also, I feel like I've always had to shirk something, some form of version of myself whenever I do anything new. 
you know, people don't greet you with open arms when you're trying new things, um, especially not in this country. I don't know if the mm. same can be said of America, but in this country, it's like, oh, let's see it then. Come on yeah. then, let's see what it is. That is the attitude that runs through our industry and our probably on some level our country. Yes, I remember being on set with you the day after the National Television Awards. Yeah. And you'd won Favourite Actress for that first season of Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, and I remember you being rightfully giddy about it. Aww. Did that feel like you'd got over that hump there, that you'd been accepted? I think so. Probably, I think probably, yeah. I'm pleased to hear that because I can't remember feeling like that. So it's nice to hear that I was. What do you mean? Do you not re are you not able to objectively enjoy those moments? I think just a lot has happened since. So I can't always remember those moments, which is kind of sad. But I remember the things that feel really, really important. And most of that's to do with my children. But yeah. But yeah, moments like that, I can't really. I remember Doctor Who coming out and feeling, that I remember that feeling like this is incredible, how exciting, I'm doing something I want to do. I remember that, but I can't remember feeling like really happy about that National Television Award. Right. I think at the time I remember you saying something like, it was the first time you'd won a prize for acting and it felt significant. Oh yeah, that's nice to hear. Yeah, amazing. And now, of course, you're in a very different place. Like you say, you've got three kids. Yeah. And you've won a bunch of acting awards since then of all uh, of all different uh, varieties. Do you feel settled? No, I do feel... I think um, professionally, I feel the most satisfied I've ever felt. I feel like I'm on a sort of personal, more personal journey myself that, uh, that feels really meaningful and you know, unending. Um, but professionally, I just feel like, yes, like this is great. Right. I'm doing work I really, really care about with people I really, really care about, really talented people who are also really nice. And that really matters to me. I feel safe with these people. And I feel like we're making something that might actually... Oh, God, can you hear my stomach? No. <laughs> can't. No, um, I feel like I'm actually um, making stuff that I really, really care about. And do you think being a parent makes you a different type of actor as well? Yeah. I would say being a parent makes you a better actor. Yeah. <laughs> but I have to say that. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got to because you're, you're stuck with it. Yeah, but also I do. On, I think, it, you know, you're exposed to enormous emotions all day long with yeah, children yeah. and they are an, an incredible study and your feelings around them are also really interesting and deeply powerful. Also, you have no time. So you do things quickly, effectively, efficiently. You know that before kids you would pour over acting roles, like pour over it for days thinking of how you were going to say a word and what that word meant. And I, I don't personally do that anymore and I think it's better for it. Yeah, it's a great leveller, isn't it? It's a, it's a really good leveller, yeah. It, it, it takes you out of your boring self, your boring creative self. Mm. How important was it to you to become as you have done, a hugely successful actor in the theatre as well. 
Because I remember when we first met, you would talk about the theatre as like a sort of an, un like? an unknown country that you weren't entirely sure you wanted to you wanted no. to visit. I know it was so terrifying the theatre, and I saw you do it, and you do it really well, and that seemed really powerful and fascinating to me because I love performing live because that was my favorite thing about being a pop star I didn't sing live I never sang live but I loved dancing and being on stage and having that relationship with an audience so I sort of missed that I think and um, that's why I was always curious about what it was like to act on stage which I'd done at theatre school and as a kid but you know, not sort of seriously or professionally. But it now and seems to be something that you keep returning to, an important part of what you do. I really love it, yeah. I mean, I love it and I hate it. So I love it. Yes. I love rehearsals because it's like being at school and I love getting to know people and that's really fun and being stupid and it's quite uh, a playful experience and that's great. And I love the first couple of, well, the first month... <laughs> And then? and then I find it really hard because it's yeah. it's it's hard. It's hard to go and do it every night and you want it to be so good. Do you beat yourself up about it? <laughs> I don't beat myself up about it. I just, it's just quite hard to do it all the time. Yeah. It's quite hard to summon it all every night and do it as well as you did it the first time you did it. And have the courage to let it change because that takes a certain level of confidence that I have only just found. And also not be at home with your kids every night. I don't like that. Mm. But when I'm doing it, I'm thrilled. Yeah, I'm having a great time. It's more than thinking about going to do it that starts to happen when you're further into the run. Yeah. Do you find as you get older, your ambitions change? Yeah. Yeah, I would say... Um, would say they're always changing for me but within the world that I'm working in now I've I'm quite happy with where I'm at I'm delighted to hear that well, yeah I'm, I'm happy to be able to say it um truthfully <laughs> <laughs> I'm able to say that and actually mean it does that feel like a relief yeah of course because like you you know you because for years you just mouth it because you're, like, you're supposed to. I'm so happy. I'm so, so grateful. Like, this is a great part and sometimes they are, but, you know, sometimes you sort of lie a bit and, um, and dress it up as something that is, you know, not that's slightly disingenuous. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm glad you're happy. You deserve to be. You're a real pleasure to know. We oh, both have too thanks. many children now to see each other as much as I wish we were able to. I can't see anyone. I don't see anyone no, anymore well, we don't leave the house either. But, um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I see people now and again. Well, in fact, the other day I got three hours in the pub. Oh. It was a sunny day. Very good. Yeah, because for me, one of those, when I think about well, what do I miss about life before kids and life before kids and work, it's those spontaneous pub days yeah well i hope you can have many more <laughs> in the months and years to <laughs> come note, when we're finally let out of our houses again um yeah. billy it's a pleasure to know you oh it was, it's a pleasure it's a, to know it's you it's always lovely to see your face oh. and hear your voice so thank you very much for this today oh thank you
David Tennant does a podcast with is a Something Else and No Mystery production. Produced by Zoe Edwards. Additional production from Harriet Wells, Sarah Camlet, Steve Ackerman and Georgia Tennant. The sound engineer was Josh Gibbs. The executive producer is Chris Skinner. Next time, some extra special extra bits from season two. Like this. When you're recording that show day after day, do you not reach a point where you go, I cannot put another piece of fucking sponge in my mouth? Never.